I'm uh, presently reading Tony Blair's memoirs, um, A Journey, they're entitled. They're fascinating, at times deeply revealing. Frankly, I feel exhausted reading all that uh, he did. But there is something very tantalising about them too. Several times in his book, he, he tells us that for him, religion is more fundamental than politics. He claims, for instance, at one point that he doesn't approach politics, he says, fundamentally as a politician, like most people do. He approaches politics as a religious man. And then at the end of the book, as he's describing his departure, he says, I've always been fortunate in having a passion bigger than politics, which is religion. It's tantalising, though, because it gives us that book, no sense of how Tony Blair's religion shapes his politics or any other part of his life. God, for instance, doesn't appear in the index. One uh, leader writer in The Guardian commented, it's as if Lenin had written an autobiography without mentioning Marx. So the book actually reveals and conceals it reveals a hectic, dynamic, in many ways, admirable life, all with it, albeit with, uh, with, with faults. But it conceals the fundamental drives and beliefs and passions of the man. So at the end of the book, I still don't really know him. Perhaps even he doesn't yet know himself. I guess most of us here would say that our religion, or probably we would say our faith, is more fundamental than our job, the thing we do. We share that with uh, Tony Blair. Sadly, often we share also this habit of not really getting below the surface of all the activities that we do to the depths of who we are and seeing how those hidden depths connect with the visible life that we lead. And that, frankly, is deeply dangerous, I think. Now, most of us here are, are at a point where we're thinking about all the um, incredibly exciting and probably daunting activities that we're going to be doing over the next few, uh, few months. It, it's like that at this time of year. People starting new, um, uh, new terms at school, new terms at university, new jobs uh, sometimes. Um, most of us returning from a period of holiday to the hurly-burly of life. There is, there is work, there is family, there is Christmas on the horizon and on it goes. There is so much activity ahead of us that rightly and understandably absorbs our attention. And sometimes, frankly, we think, how am I going to cope? I know Richard's thinking, how am I going to cope heading off to a new job in a new church as, uh, as the boss man. A lot of the rest of us are thinking, how are we going to cope without Richard and Lil around? Me included. And I want to say to every single one of us here, all of those things, they're legitimate. 
but they're not the main business of your life. They're not the real issues of your life. They're not the most profound issues of your life. They're not the lasting issues of your life. Human beings are like the earth. The surface of the earth is a rich tapestry of bustling life. But actually what really shaped the earth and what really shapes it still today is as much as anything the activities that go on below the crust in the molten depths of the mantle of this planet. Vast oceans have opened up. Soaring mountain ranges have been thrust into the sky. High plateaus, rolling hills, rift valleys and so much more are the product actually of deep subterranean activities on our earth. Sudden catastrophes, terrible earthquakes, giant tsunamis, volcanic eruptions are the result actually of deep tensions under the surface on this earth. And in a sense, all what goes on on the surface, on the crust, is, is just the last manifestation of those deep, profound things that are happening inside our earth. And we are the same. The, the fundamental shape of who you are will be determined by what's happening deep inside you. Everything else is just details. So for half an hour I, I, I want to set aside the kinds of things that fill Tony Blair's autobiography and most of our, mind, our minds most of the time and I want to talk to you about your heart. Richard, I want to talk to you about a pastor's heart. Everybody here. I want to talk to you about what goes on deep inside. It seems to me that uh, this is what Jesus is, uh, is talking about as he unfolds this picture of the vine. First of all, we need to understand the fundamental reality that he is talking about. Verse 1, I am the vine, my father is the gardener, he says. He calls himself actually the true vine. I am the true vine because in the Old Testament, Israel had been, had been a failed vine, a false uh, vine so often. Um, they'd not lived up to what they were supposed to and Jesus has now come and he is our model, our example as a true man of God living as he should do. But he uses this image of the vine for another reason as well. He goes on, for instance, in verse 5 to elaborate it. I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, you've all seen a vine, in a sense, the branches of the vine are the vine, aren't they? 
Uh, he uses a word actually that sometimes is used of the sort of green shoots of the vine. So he could be saying, you know, I'm the fundamental structure of this vine and you're the, you're the leaves and the shoots. But uh, he could equally simply be using the analogy to say, in a sense, we are, we coexist, we are coextensive. He is inextricably united with his disciples. It's, it's, a, it's a stunning image which the Bible repeats in various places in different ways to indicate this sort of profound union there is at the heart of who we are with Jesus. If you are a Christian here, then fundamentally you are eternally bound to, grafted into, united with Jesus. His life is in you. You are in Christ, as the Apostle Paul likes to put it. We collectively are the body of Christ. Not just like the body of Christ, but the body of Christ, says, uh, says the Bible. Somehow, by the Holy Spirit, we are indwelt by the very person of God, of Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. Christians here, you may not feel that. You may spend most of your time ignoring it. You may feel that you're out there on your own, trying to do it on your own, but it is not true. If God has actually made you a believer, then Jesus does indwell you by his Spirit. You are inextricably bound with him. That's the fundamental reality. What is God doing then um, with that reality? I am the vine, he says, my father is the gardener, the vine dresser. Vine dressers carry secateurs, which they use, frankly, in a scary way. 80% of what uh, grows on a vine ends up on the floor of the, the vineyard. And to an untrained eye, frankly, it looks like the... Um, uh, the, the, the gardener is ravaging the vines but he is not he is doing two things which Jesus explains here in verse 2 he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful there are fruitless stems on vines and they are cut off at the base and there are fruiting stems which are carefully cut, as I remember it, just one leaf beyond the uh, bunch of grapes so that all the energy of the vine goes into making grapes, not making useless leaves. That's the image that he has before us. Remember first that there are, there are fruitless stems, Jesus says. And he extends that metaphor with pretty brutal clarity in verse 6. 
If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Now let me say there will be people who are starting to head down that path here. You professed faith. Maybe you even got baptised. Presently, because you're here, you still come to church. But there is a hardness entering your soul. And you can dress it up, we always do. Church doesn't meet my needs. Preachers just don't understand the real world. I'm too busy. I've been hurt too much. I can follow Jesus in my own way. But frankly, underneath that, if you're honest, you know that your commitment to follow Jesus is fading. There will be people like that here. And Jesus is warning you where you're headed. I've seen it happen. And to be honest, those people as they head off in that direction, they think that they cut the ties finally that that, that severed them from any semblance of being a Christian. But they didn't. The gardener came along. And the sap stopped flowing and the leaves withered and the stick will be burned. So on this rededication Sunday Jesus warns us let me warn you don't go down that path. But you see, those who do bear fruit, those who remain in Jesus, they too get the secateur treatment. It is necessary for fruitfulness. And as I said, that that pruning can feel as savage as the the previous one. Richard, as a church leader, let me tell you from experience, you will be pruned. The viticultural term that Jesus uses actually is is cleaned or cleansed. Our pruning is our cleansing. I look back on myself in my 20s and, and frankly in my 30s and I see someone who was rather like an unpruned vine. Lots of life but all over the place. Lots of obvious sins and weaknesses. And God has been pruning me. Sometimes it has been painful. But he's done it. And there is an awful lot more to do. Don't be terrified of the secateurs, Richard. 
we have seen God doing a really beautiful work in your life over the last uh, seven years. He will continue to do that work and it may be tough but God will shape you. And Christians here as well. That is what you can expect. Don't be taken aback when there are difficult things that come your way. God disciplines those he loves. God prunes fruitful branches so they will be even more fruitful. And older Christians, please don't be cynical about all those young, green, rambling branches that turn up every year, every year amongst our midst. Don't, don't, don't get tired of their youthful immaturity. Just the way the world is. The, you know, the story is told of a of man who later became a great Anglican preacher, Charles Simeon, who as a very young man visited a man called Henry Venn. And uh, after he had left, Venn's daughters were really pretty horrified by this brash young man and complained to their father about him. Venn uh, took his daughters outside to the garden and to a peach tree and said, could you pick me a peach please? Um, it was early summer. The peaches were green and the daughters protested that they'd be disgusting. And then replied in this way, Well, my dears, the peach is green now, but we must wait. A little more sun, a few more showers, and the peach will be ripe and sweet. So it is with Mr. Simeon. how right Henry Venn was. You know, we get a lot of green pre- peaches in this church. That is our calling. That is our delight. God will prune you. Those who have greater experience of pruning, be patient. That's what God does. He cuts. He prunes. How does he do it? Well, Jesus indicates, through his word, verse 3, you are already clean, pruned, you are already pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Or verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then dot, dot, dot. It It is the word of God, actually, that becomes a fundamental instrument through, uh, uh, also through the experiences of life in shaping us and maturing us. Devote yourself to the Word of God, Richard. Many things in your, in your ministry will, will distract you and require your attention and they will deserve some attention, but not your best attention, not your, not your primary focus. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly and let the teaching and proclaiming of the word of Christ be fundamental to what you do. And Christians here, every one of us, do you read your Bible? Good habits are a really valuable thing in, uh, uh, in reading our Bibles. Daily Bible reading is a really good thing. But the fundamental thing is, is 
the word of God getting into your heart? Is it teaching you? Is it training you? Is it rebuking you? Is it shaping you? Is it forming you? Is it pruning you? Is it giving you the, the sort of the, the, the framework within which you can understand your life and your strengths and weaknesses and how the Lord wants you to grow? Is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? This is a moment to re-embark upon that. If the word of Christ is not at the heart of your life, then the fruit will start to wither. And who knows, one day, maybe you'll wake up and find there is no fruit. I would not want to be in that place. What will the Word of God teach you? It will teach you fundamentally two things. It will teach you about the love of God. Do you notice how Jesus moves on in verse 9? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. As the word of God remains in us. So, in fact, one of the primary things it teaches us is about the faithfulness, the grace, the mercy, the kindness, the compassion, the love of God, which was supremely demonstrated in Christ's death on the cross for our sins, so that we could be reconciled to God and have a restored relationship with God. And the Bible is gospel, it is good news, it tells us about those wonderful things you will learn more deeply about God's love as you read the Word of God. And it will tell you another thing too. It will give you commands. You see verse 10? If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my, command, my Father's commands and remain in his love. There is no disjunction, you see, between enjoying God's love and obeying his commands. The, 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 the two fit together any more than there is a, a, a disjunction between a, a, um, the love of a parent and the commands of that parent. They cannot command without loving and they cannot love their child without commanding. They just go together. So hear those commands Heed those commands. Listen to the word of God and respond to it. And you will be shaped and you will grow. In a sense, in the life of the church at the moment, one of the big things is how are we going to get everything done? Those are good questions as we lose pastoral staff as we're thin on the ground at the moment more people will come over the next few months how are we going to get everything done but I don't want you to focus on that I want you to focus on how do I need to grow what do I need to build into my life that would enable me to be pruned and become even more fruitful. The word of God, which tells us about the love of God and tells us the commands of God. And what is God's aim in doing all this? This pruning by the word? 
he is creating fruit. We've already seen it, but let's just see how often Jesus brings it brings it to to, uh, uh, to mind. Verse two: While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse four: Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. He wants to make us fruitful. What is that fruit? Well, let me say say to you, it is not centrally the money we earn, the house we buy, the exams we pass. They are not fruits which last. Scripture makes that plain again and again and again. They are not they are necessary for life now they are not eternal. I do not know where my exam certificates are. It's gone. They were so important to me at the time. But you see, God is shaping us in much more fundamental ways, ways that will last. God is creating vast oceans, mountain ranges in the person that is me, in planet me. One of the fruits he specifically mentions is joy. You notice that in verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. Perhaps um, if he'd gone on more, he would have quoted the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-controls. In other, in other places, fruitfulness is described as, is equated with new people coming to faith. And that will not occur primarily through our strategies. It will ca- occur through our transformed lives. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants your life to bear the fruit of joy, of love, of patience. He wants you to display his glory in your life. So I put down Tony Blair's book. Fascinating that it was. And I thought to myself, I don't really yet know the heart of this man. And I turned to this sermon and I thought, it's hearts here that need to be cultivated. Not all the surface things, but hearts, so that you will bear fruit. Now, I don't know what that means for you. 
Perhaps it will be some new disciplines that you need to put into your life. Perhaps you will need to repent of hardness and bitterness. Perhaps you will simply need to embrace with a more positive attitude those difficult challenges that come your way. They are for your good. But I know this. All the busy things that fill your life, your work, your study, your family, your daily chores, your health, and even your death, are not the most fundamental thing about you. Who you have become in your inner character is what Jesus sees and what Jesus wants to shape. Jesus' repeated call to his disciples who knew him very well and had been with him for years was remain in me. Will you remain in Christ as he prunes you, as he shapes you, as you go about your daily life? Will you remain in Christ?